0: The biggest kicker of any startup is is you want to fail, and you want to fail quickly. You don't want to come up with a new design idea or make a slight subtle change and then have to wait several weeks or months to have somebody else produce it for you.
1: And welcome to episode 30 of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. Today, we are continuing our Behind the Ball series as we take a deeper look into the manufacturing process of Graph Smart Golf Ball To help us with that today, we brought on Parker Feldman, Graf's VP of Manufacturing for the second time to the podcast in our first conversation that came back on October 11th of last year. We talked about Parker's background with the Air Force, Tesla, and everything else that led him to this point. And now in this conversation... We really focus on the manufacturing process, the hurdles of constructing a smart golf ball, how COVID has impacted everything, uh, what Parker has learned through this, and a lot more. A lot of the questions we get about the ball are answered in this podcast, so it's a really informative listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to Parker, we have a special announcement next Monday, March 21st. Damon Goddard will join the show. Damon has been a physical trainer for the likes of Jordan Spieth and Will Zalatoris, and many others. So we are pumped to have him on talking about speed training, what recovery means on the golf course and a ton more. So we're really looking forward to that episode. All right, let's get right into it. Here's our conversation with Parker Feldman going inside the manufacturing process of Graph Golf's Smart Golf Ball. All right, Parker, welcome back to the podcast for your second appearance. The first time we had you on, we talked kind of more big picture items with Graph and also a little bit on your background with the Air Force and Tesla and with a lot of other things that you've done in your career. Uh, I want to start here talking about some of the manufacturing work that you've done with Graph. When you first came to Graph, Where was the company in terms of the the manufacturing process at that point? Where, what were you kind of coming into at at that juncture?
0: I was definitely coming into the very forefront of all of the unknown issues that we were kind of heading into. The the underlying like hardware side had been designed and set in stone. We had, you know, the battery, the PCB was designed, the sizing was kind of set in stone, uh, the coil was there. But as far as getting this encapsulated inside of a golf ball and then getting it to you know function and work the way that we wanted it to, it was at the very very beginning. The graph team before me had already done a pretty fantastic job. They've already they had already kind of reached out to a lot of really good good communicating good suppliers that were overseas. Um, some of them we're still working with to this day. Uh, but there was there was a a lot of kind of uh, hurdles that were in front of us that we weren't quite sure how. Ball, tall they were at the time.
1: Right, right. And maybe to backtrack for a second before we go forward. If you had to describe to somebody what is a smart golf ball, I know it's a very high level question, but how would you kind of describe just what it is in terms of the components that go into it and what the purpose of it is, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, a smart golf ball. It's uh, the easiest way that I can describe it to somebody who's on the, the golf side who's played golf before is everything that you would want to get from a trackman or from your like swing, uh, all of the data, but it's all inside of the golf ball and uh, the data is presented to you either on your computer or, you know, from your pocket, like coming from your phone.
1: So your first few months with graph, what were, what were some of the things that you were able to do to kind of advance the the project moving forward?
0: There's always like a three month gap for any new employee. Uh, but coming in to uh, Graph and kind of being at a higher level, um, I was able to kind of take the reins on everything and, and figure things out a lot quicker. You know, I became a sponge. But I would say within the the, the first three months, I felt like I was kind of at a good, a good jogging pace. I was moving forward with uh, things that I kind of had ideas that I knew I was going to have to tackle. We were beginning to kind of understand how tall those hurdles were that i had spoken about before and the picture was becoming a little bit more clear so it's probably the first three months that uh we kind of started hitting a good stride
1: how does it work just from just in very general terms so somebody somebody hits hits a golf ball and and, you know it, it makes impact how how is that information just from a high level view being being transferred you know to somebody's device
0: yeah the way that that's gonna end up happening is um and there's there's a lot of details i'll try to not go too far into on this one, but you can imagine that you have a, a suite of sensors on the inside of the ball. With any given, if you wanna have a lot of data, you're gonna to have to have a lot of different ways of viewing something. It's just like your own personal senses. Like you, you see things, you hear things, you smell things, and you can't just put one sensor inside the ball. It needs to have multiple senses to be able to give you the, all of the, you know, the big suite of data that you really wanna have. So there's one specific sensor that's gonna look at g-forces and direction there's another sensor that's going to look at spin. Uh, there's another sensor that looks at the orientation of the earth in reference to where the ball is at at any given moment. With those three as like the kind of the primary sensors, you're able to, to put together all of the different data that each one is, is kind of printing out at a given second and then paint a picture of what's happening to the ball at that given moment. And then when you paint the next picture, the next data point, you can kind of see, okay, what's the direction? Uh, how fast are we going from the previous point? And so on and so forth. And, uh, all of the other points of data tend to become derivatives from, you know, the first few larger sets of mathematical equations or algorithms.
1: Why is that so difficult? I mean, it, it sounds complicated, but why in kind of in a nutshell, why is it so difficult for a company to create something like that? What are some of the the obvious hurdles that kind of come up when you, when you first start trying to to do that?
0: Yeah. So the first one, and, and this is the most obvious that a lot of people will think of is is just the sheer amount of force that a golf ball goes through. Every sensor has a limit and multiple limits at that. Some of them have limits on temperatures. It can't go below a certain temperature or above a certain temperature. And then sensors that we're dealing with have force limitations to them. and that includes like how fast it can actually handle being able to give you an accurate data set uh, while it's spinning and then you add the spin rate to the G-forces of the drive in a very specific direction, and you have limitations there as well. One of the hardest things that you can kind of picture is when you initially hit the golf ball, a lot of accelerometers, which is the one that's gonna be looking at the G-forces, they have a limitation where it might not break, uh, but what happens is it kind of, it's picture like the, uh, uh, the mechanical component that has to read how fast it's going, kind of just like up against the wall. And when it's up against the wall you can't really get any data from it it's it's like being in a car and being thrown back into your seat and then up until the car kind of gets to a certain speed or you kind of catch up with the car you can kind of lean forward a little bit and the same thing's happening inside the ball with the accelerometer is is that initial hit it just gets slammed up against the wall there's no data and then after that we start getting data and then from the other sensors we can kind of fill in the gaps um when you're playing out on the course you have that time because the ball is going to be lofted into the air. It's an average of five to six seconds for most shots. And the blackout period will be, you know, very short, brief amount of time, almost just immediately after the hit. So you can do all that derivative calculations afterwards to kind of figure out what was the initial velocity and how far did it go and and all of the other things. But when you hit it into a net, um, that blackout period is from the time that it hits the club to the time that it hits the net. So by the time it hits the net and then the accelerometer wakes back up and starts giving you data, you're already in the net and the ball's already you know slowing down. And, and that backwards deriving of, uh, like trying to find a way to calculate that missed data, that's probably been one of the hardest things. And that's just specifically for, for net play. And then there's other things. Um, uh, your cell phone, for example, when it comes to Bluetooth technology, um, every Bluetooth component, that you have, whether it's inside of a phone or any other kind of uh, thing, when you make the Bluetooth component and it's just sitting on the PCB out in the middle of the air, you know, the range could be 300 to 500 yards. And then you put like a case around it, like your phone, uh, which has a Bluetooth component, and that signal goes down. And if you wanna increase that signal again, you have to retune that Bluetooth component to increase the signal. So another problem that we had was, we do have components that can go you know, upwards of 300 yards, but the moment you encapsulate that inside the ball, it's no longer tuned properly. So that was a really big lesson learned uh, shortly after coming in, is making sure that we can you know, keep connecting to the phone. And then there's all, a lot of other back-end ways that you can you know, continue saving the data, waiting until you're connected to the phone to, to dump it. But uh, there's very, very minor like little details for all of these different sensors and things that have to be accounted for when making a product like this. And it can get very nitty-gritty.
1: I wanted to ask about the impact of the pandemic because we're seeing that in all different walks of life right now with certain materials being, you know, far more expensive or harder to to obtain at this at this point. Uh, What is what has that been like in terms of navigating the manufacturing process with 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 some of the hurdles that that have come with uh, with with some of the supply chain issues?
0: That's a really great question, especially when it comes to manufacturing and supply chains. Um, I think anybody else. who who works in manufacturing or supply chain can agree that ever since COVID hit, it has been just supply chain, hell. Uh, I've heard it referred to as the port-pocalypse. So it's it's definitely um, weighed a little bit on our planning in the future. But luckily, and you had asked this before, when I had come on, the graph team had already made a really good decision and it wasn't even based off of anything. It just was by pure chance that the majority of the components that have long lead times, that had long lead times, that now have lead times that are two to three times longer. And I'm talking about if you order it now, you might not get it for up to 47 weeks, which is just shy of a year. So um, if you don't plan ahead like that properly, you could be sitting around just waiting for parts or having to redesign the entire thing just to keep the project moving forward. But luckily the graph team had actually ordered uh, more than we needed for our exact design that we're uh, using for the first design and even our secondary version two design, which has been drastically improved, but didn't require a major component change, uh, which would have caused very, very large delays, like I said, up to a year. But um, even on the back end, and I'm not just talking about electronic components and just waiting around for for parts to come in, but uh, we've seen shipping delays. Um, I've had uh, two packages go from the US overseas And it was supposed to take seven days and it took um, exactly five weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just situations like that, where it's, uh, you kind of have to keep working on the fly do what you can to keep things in house and uh, reduce the number of movements Uh, going into this first beta or alpha build. And then onto the beta build, that's been a really, really big part of planning is going, okay, like, how can we get this product out and do all the things in between and not get tripped up? by supply chain issues and it's a very very hard thing to predict like i said some packages will make it you know in just a couple days and then other packages will get stuck in a port everybody's been dealing with this even just people who don't work in manufacturing Uh, amazon packages have been late before and you know usps is having issues it's it's everywhere it's all over the news yeah it's been a very heavy thing going into 2022 for the graph team
1: and a part of your job is communication with different parts of the world, right? In different time zones and in different scenarios. What what has that been like in terms of trying to coordinate a lot of different moving parts? And uh, you have people who uh, are are living in different areas of the of the, of the world, uh, and, and you're trying to, to to communicate, you know, our own needs with with them
0: yeah that one's been uh, I'll say that's that's been my lack of sleep <laughs> and 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 all good things too. no complaining. It's just one of those things when when you're working for a startup and you are working with uh, overseas manufacturers who, for example, you're on the east coast and and I have to do this like very quick calculation almost every single day in my head. for uh, me, you guys are three hours ahead. and then for the individuals that I'm speaking with over in you know places like Taiwan, Thailand, and China, they are, three hours ahead, plus another 12 hours from where you guys are at. So I actually do the majority of my uh, communications with those overseas suppliers, usually starting around 5.30 PM. And sometimes I'm up until, you know, midnight, 1 AM, just to make sure that we're not, you know, delaying the project by an entire day because I wanted to go to bed and and then I communicate what we need and then they don't get it until, you know, 12 hours later and I'm already asleep. So um, uh, that's been, probably uh, I would say like the hardest part of this position is just making sure that those communications stay on track and sometimes that means uh, you know staying up late, uh, which used to not be such a big deal but you know now being a father and uh, <laughs> having to juggle between family and and work and then sometimes I'm up until 1 am. it's it's been it's been a definite interesting ride uh, for the last couple months.
1: so you're you're saying you're a night owl basically
0: yeah um I definitely am uh, so in, in a sense, it's been kind of nice uh, but there are other things other aspects where it's like I do the majority of the communication at night, but then there's a lot of design things that have to be done during the day to make sure that those are kept on track and that communication is done very well because as as much as it's easy to hand things off to the suppliers, communication is going to be one of the it is one of the biggest things when it comes to manufacturing working with um, individuals who are going to be manufacturing parts for you. I've always been in a position where, I both own the design and the manufacturing process, so that that like communication gap of like how is this supposed to be made, like you know how it's supposed to be made, but when you act, when you communicate that to somebody else who's uh, making something for you, and they don't speak the same language, it can be very quickly you know misinterpreted, and you could end up getting something in the mail that looks. And works nothing like what you expected or what you asked for because either a you didn't ask for it or b you asked for it in a completely incorrect way so th- that's been a juggle between like communicating that at night and then making sure that the packets that we send over in the emails and the communication process is very
1: clear details seem extremely important to state the obvious uh yeah it'd be vague with your any of your intentions right so yeah, uh, exactly. this is kind of an open-ended question but in, in your in your time with Graph, what are you most proud of? It could be maybe an accomplishment or maybe it could be what we're just talking about in terms of all the work that you've put in. Uh, what what really has made you have has given you the most pride to to this point in terms of what you've done?
0: There's there's one that just immediately comes into my mind. I have worked on a lot of really, really big projects for a lot of larger companies. And, you know, from beginning to end, have 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 done really large things and I've had my names on presentations and whatnot, but working for Graph has actually been the first time that I've had my name on a patent. And to get to that point, it definitely wasn't an easy task. Uh, I'm not so proud of how I got there, but it was definitely like worth it in the end because it ended up getting, getting done and actually functioning and working very well. But um, out of the majority of everything that we had already spoken about difficulty-wise for making a smart golf ball, uh, we talked about sensors and G-forces and blackout, Bluetooth communication. And then the last one, which is what I'm most proud of is actually the wireless charging. So wireless charging kind of like seems like a very simple thing, especially because everybody has it in their phone. Um, but the hardest part about that is actually the distance. So when you put your phone down on a wireless charging pad, it's like within millimeters away from the actual charging coil um, that's both inside the phone and on the charging pad. Um, so with the smart golf ball, unless you have your charging coil on the very, very outside of the golf ball, which is not what you really want to do, you're going to be working with distances that are, that are you know, almost past even what long distance wireless charging uh, coils can handle you can you can pump energy as much as you want uh, but then you start dealing with fcc certification issues because you're just blasting a lot of unused energy uh, out you know around people and you don't want to do that so our proudest moment is is sitting down and it was several weeks and i relate this to the the thomas edison and a thousand ways not to make a light bulb (laughs) i did the same thing with these wireless charging coils um at the time which was basically I, i found a lot of ways not to you know make wireless charging coils work at the distances that we needed to and that that one moment where you know i put it on the test fixture i had a very specific set of emi material which is very important for energy efficiency around the coil and then going through different iterations of different types of wires different types of metals different gauges of wires uh, Litz wires like all these different things and I, I finally got these two to start charging and then checking the efficiency it's like the efficiency wasn't exactly where we wanted it to be but it was within the realm of we, what we needed to get to work and then i got that inside of a golf ball and it still worked like exactly how we needed to so it was like this big weight lifted off my shoulder i felt like i had accomplished something now it's on a patent. So it's it's definitely something I'm very proud of. Um, and I'm very glad that I got that to work for the graph team.
1: This this sounds like a, a labor of love for you. Would you would you describe it as that just the amount of work that you put into it?
0: Definitely. I I very much enjoy a challenge. And I will say that's probably one of the, the most shocking things uh, coming on with the graph team. It, it's very funny. Like when you talk to people, it's like making a, a smart golf ball seems simple in nature. But going back to the, the previous podcast that we talked on, one of the biggest things that drove me to kind of come to this position was was like, OK, if it, if it is that simple, like, why isn't it here yet? Which kind of like triggered, OK, it must be really hard. And I, I just had this very deep curiosity. And that's what really drives me. That, that labor of love is uh, finding problems and then just like working through it, um, even if it means like, OK, right, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to sit down and just take it step by step and spend two weeks. <laughs> putting together a bunch of coils that don't work and then like double checking my work to make sure that I'm not just like doing it incorrectly it's um it's it's definitely fun that that final moment of i failed a lot and then now it's working it's just it's a very good feeling
1: and so we're talking in March of 2022 right now uh we, we graph recently brought on Eric Goodchild he's been a very helpful component to the team where are we right now in terms of uh where the ball is and how Eric has kind of, you know, helped things along here since he he came on a couple months ago.
0: Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to state that very helpful is probably an understatement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: Eric, Eric is definitely that, uh, that unicorn of an employee who, if you think my labor of love is there for engineering and like working through problems, he makes me look like a high school student. He's been just gosh, completely outstanding. I would say to give you an example There's been a list of problems that uh that we've been trying to work through these you know little hurdles that we need to get over that we just haven't like every time we try to jump over it we just kind of trip up a little bit and we've worked with a lot of different individuals who you know stated it couldn't happen or said it had to be done a very specific way or we had to spend a lot of money and when we brought eric on we had just a slew of issues that in in his first well first of all in his first six hours he fixed one of the largest issues that we had, and then within his first two weeks, he had taken the, the third version of our version one. So our version one dot three and redesigned it into a version two, uh, with. I, I can't even list the number of improvements and it's not even just on like the product side. So to give you a really good example, like the user, uh, with our original one, was going to be working with, you know, five to six hours of play time. That's going to be tripled. And then like the deep sleep cycle is going to go into um, you know, months of battery life versus what we were seeing before. So just a huge improvements on the product side for the the customer. But then there's also been these very large manufacturing improvements. So taking all of the issues that I've seen the supplier having overseas with manufacturing our our current version, um, had all these, this very long list of like, okay, I want to do this. I want to improve how it's soldered. I want to improve how it snaps together. I want to make the battery, you know, removable in the in the event that in the manufacturing environment it needs to be swapped out when you do different testing it seemed like a very long list that i thought okay i might not be able to get all of these into the the second version and eric was just like yeah no problem and you know within two weeks we had this like completely redesigned version two with just this huge long list of improvements so um you know I, i can't can't thank him enough and i can't say how lucky we are to have him on the team
1: what is your next big challenge when it when it comes to this? I don't know if you can talk about it right now, but what what are you working on right now that is kind of at the the heart of what your what your job is right now?
0: right now, it's it's not necessarily hard. It's just very tedious because what I'm working on is making sure that um, how everything is actually being delivered to the customer, uh, the packaging, and then also the casing around the charging and just making sure that uh, all of this can be assembled very quickly um, within a very tight budget and making sure that that's done. It's not necessarily hard. It's it's tedious and it takes a lot of time. But I would say the next actual hardest thing that we're going to have to really work through is the performance and the feel of the ball. Because there's other balls out there that you know have electronics on the inside. Um, a lot of people have played with the LED ball, and they just don't they just don't feel very nice. It's like playing with a rock. Um, what we have right now feels very nice. But when you transition what we do in house, which is a polyurethane casting method, which is it's highly used in prototyping. And it works extremely well it's our, our polyurethane casted ball is very closely relative to what a normal golf ball would be but it's not how it's produced in the normal manufacturing environment and then urethane casting is not also not as durable as compression mold rubbers and then properly like combined rubbers between all the different layers of the golf ball and when you try to transition what we do in-house into a golf ball manufacturing environment and then make sure that everything is perfectly centered and balanced the pressures on the inside of the ball or where they need to be at any given point versus on top of the PCB and on the side of the PCB. If you have a, pref- a pressure differential, you end up having this issue where if you hit it in the wrong point of the ball, um, you can damage the ball, it will crack open. And these are all issues that are necessarily like not product related. It's just uh, getting getting the manufacturing dialed in so that we can make these at scale and that somebody can play with them for you know an extended amount of time with, without having to worry about A, it feeling like a rock or B, it breaking open after hitting it, you know, 10 times.
1: Is durability a concern and is it becoming more or less of a concern than it has been in the past?
0: It's less of a concern. I'll definitely say that. And I want to be very clear, like, it's not the durability of the electronic components. Our hardware is very well protected. And we're actually at a point where um, we have some preliminary plans. That if you look at the durability of uh, the layer one, the epoxy that's around our hardware and how well the hardware can actually last, uh, we're to the point where we could be in a situation where the ball, even if we get the ball to work as long as a normal golf ball, even a normal golf ball, you can play. I think it's correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think upwards of eight to 10 rounds before it really starts getting damaged and you have to replace it and that's assuming you don't lose it um most people probably don't even make it that long but we're at the point where we do believe that the hardware component of the um the smart golf ball is going to last longer than the ball and what we don't want to have happen is we get the point where the golf ball durability meaning it cracking open and not being able to to handle the driving factor of having the PCB on the inside we get to a point where that lasts as long, if not a little bit longer than a normal golf ball, because you're gonna be able to to find the graph ball. It's gonna have a find my ball function, which means that you're you're gonna end up playing with it for eight to 10 rounds of golf. Um, But at that time, you know, the golf ball is gonna start falling apart like a normal golf ball would. Um, And what we don't wanna have to happen is having our electronic components be part of the thing that gets thrown out. Uh, We wanna make sure that we're being at least mindful of how we recycle these or reuse them or find a way to reuse and and, and resell like those internal PCBs that have been used before inside of a ball, just as like a kind of base level thing. So durability, it's gotten a lot better and it's gotten so much better that we're we're kind of looking at, okay, what are we going to do when the ball starts falling apart? Like any other normal golf ball, not necessarily like how do we keep the sink from just breaking after one hit?
1: and in, in my experience, like most golf balls, the damage comes from hitting a cart path or like hitting a tree or like it's actually the impact of when it hits the ground yeah. rather than the the actual impact of the club itself, um, which is kind of counterintuitive. But um, so, yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah.
0: Well, hopefully after playing with uh, the graph ball, you, you're going to be able to hit it on the green every single time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. I'll, I'll ask you one last question and then i'll I'll get you out of here. Um, what is what is kind of one of the overarching lessons you think that you've learned through this whole time with graph to to this point? Is there something whether it's in the manufacturing process or 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 just over overall in terms of your time here that you've you kind of take in terms of a, of a lesson?
0: I think my the biggest lesson is something that i've I'm very familiar with. Uh, I don't think it really I didn't have this underlying driver to to actually truly understand it. Back when I previously worked at Tesla, it was it was always very big to like you want to own the entire process from beginning to end. And sometimes you're in situations where it's okay to you know have another supplier do it. Um, to give an example, like they they used to have a supplier for their seats, and uh, there was a couple of delays. They had some certain charging, and they were just you know you know what we're just going to do it ourselves. That is one of the biggest things I think. Uh, sitting in this position at graph it's it's definitely hit home for me because in the beginning when when you have to go through this kind of r d iterative process of uh, trial and error and failing and failing and failing and and making things better and then just like finding the next hurdle that you need to get over if you're having to rely on other suppliers or other individuals people who aren't on the team it's just going to cost time and it could potentially cost some money as well so i've been working very hard like i said during the daytime uh, we've brought in a lot of our own processes so instead of having to take our pcb and get it inside of an actual golf ball through the golf ball environment we brought that in house and did our own you know we have our own molds now so we can do the urethane casting process and and iterate and test the pcb i understood the concept in my previous positions but now like it it really makes sense where it's just like if we want to get through it and we want to do it fast we want to do it right because like the biggest kicker of any startup is is you want to fail and you want to fail quickly. You don't want to come up with a new design idea or make a slight subtle change and then have to wait several weeks or months to have somebody else produce it for you. So that's been one of the biggest things. And, and as I as I work forward, it's it's what else can we take on? What else can we do um, versus you know handing it off and then making sure that once we do have it dialed in, it gets over to the manufacturing environment. That's where that durability thing comes in. It's like, once we do get in, in, into the manufacturing environment, there's still, there's still going to be some iterative processes that we have to do to dial that in as well
1: well i mean golf is a game of failure and startups are kind of fail failure too it's it's a, there's a lot of failure involved in it there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of not not getting what you want and having to work through that i guess right yeah it really is and it's it's
0: one of those cultural things that um you can't be afraid of it. Like, if anything you have to embrace it and like wholeheartedly love to fail and i i do i'm very good at failing probably probably not something you want to say in an interview to somebody who might not understand that but it's true
1: awesome well uh thank you for coming back onto the podcast once again this was a this is a blast and uh we'll have to have you on again sometime yeah thanks
0: for having me on again
1: sean thank you again to parker for joining the podcast and if you are a fan of the pod this is our 30th episode now We've been gaining traction recently, so please subscribe and review the podcast. Tell your friends about it if you have the chance. That really does make a huge difference on our end. Uh, We have some exciting guests coming up that we know you guys are going to enjoy, so please consider helping us out in whatever way you can. And Also, just a reminder, you can visit the club at graph.golf to see a ton of articles that we have posted recently. You can also sign up for our newsletter there to get updates on the launch of the golf ball. If you have any questions, you can also email me at sean We will see you again next Monday, March 21st. Cheers.